0: Uh, Tom, Ingo had
1: one more question to ask. Please go ahead. Okay. Um, Yes, it's about uh, COVID-19 and all the news about it. Um, I read the question. I've noticed that many people are worried and especially young people are afraid and some almost become hypochondriac. Um, One can assume that these worries can be intensified or triggered by all the news in this situation information is important and when there is a threat you want to know about it and it's not wrong to inform yourself about what to do or not to do but getting this information also has the potential to spark concerns Uh, do you have any advice on how to deal with yourself so that you don't get into a fear cycle, or when you're in it, how to get out?
2: Yes, this is one of those things that, that um, you know, it's very, not getting caught up in the fear is a very simple and natural and easy thing to do if you're grown up and don't have fear. You know, but if you're not grown up and you're up to your eyeballs in fear, like most people are, not getting wrapped right up in fear is a very, very, you know, easy or a very hard thing to do. Getting wrapped up in it is a very easy thing to do. Unfortunately, this is one of the lessons that we have to learn here in this making this term from self centeredness to other centeredness. And that is that the media, the people who create this news, they seem to have only one criteria for the publication, and that is that it's sensational, it's, gra- it's attention grabbing. It's sensational. It causes emotions. It causes feelings. It doesn't matter whether it causes joy, whether it causes anger, or whether it upsets people. That's not the point. It like, reaches out and grabs people, jerks them around. That's what sells. So they will, they will print things that are um, not just attention-getting, But that are, um, what's the word? Um, Emotionally entrapping things that grab people by the emotions. Sensational. They will print that. And dwell on it. Whether it's harmful to people or not. So it's not. News that here are things that are going on you need to know about that would be news, but this sensationalism—here's something that will grab your your emotions and grab your feelings. That's not really news at all. That's kind of entertainment, entertainment in a in, in in both a white and and dark way, you know, dark entertainment for the most part, because things that grab people are things that are the things that are awful, things that are terrible. If you say, Oh, a bunch of people met and had a really great time and they all loved each other, you know, well, yeah, so what else? You know, that's not that interesting. It doesn't grab anybody. And say, Oh, that just fills me full of joy. You know, that doesn't work that way. Bunch of people got together and all, you know, had a battle and they all, you know, killed each other or, uh, you know, they all took poison and died. Uh, you know, they ransacked through the neighborhood and eight children, you know, the, the worst it can be the more publishable it is. The more that it grabs somebody's emotions, the more publishable it is. So we don't really have news anymore. What we have is just entertainment. It's all, if you want to classify that, grabbing your emotions as entertainment, grabs your attention, that's what we have. So news is almost irrelevant to most of our media. What's relevant is sales. What's relevant is money. And what moves money and creates sales is stuff that grabs people's emotions. So, you know, you know, a little girl who's sixteen years old disappears from a beach in Bermuda or someplace, and that's headline news for three weeks. Why? You know, why do we need to dwell on that, you know, with ten stories a day for three weeks and talk about nothing else? Because that grabs people by the emotion. It has nothing to do with news. So that's the problem. Is the, the media outlets just want to make money. They're not trying to give you information you can use. They're not trying to inform you of what's happening in the world. They're not trying to, you know, to, uh, be helpful or useful in any kind of a way. They're mostly just trying to make as much money as they can. Now there's exceptions to that. You know, there's, there's reporters here and there and there's different programs that are trying to give you news and understanding. I'm, you know, I'm painting with a very broad brush here and I know everybody doesn't fall in that same category, but still in general, our media wants to entertain, not give us information, not provide us with understanding or information. And I just, again, entertainment, I mean grabbing people's emotions. That's what entertains us. We're not entertained looking at a tree growing. That doesn't entertain us. But looking at two big burly lumberjacks and see which one can cut the tree down faster, that's entertaining because there's a loser and a winner. That's entertaining. So it grabs our emotions. We get emotionally involved in it. So that's the problem. So our media is just full of this stuff and it's it's not only not useful but it's hurtful it hurts people it creates stress it creates anxiety it creates depression it creates conspiracy theories (laughs) it creates all kinds of dysfunctional things but it's profitable and that's why we get it so what is what is profit? Profit is money. What is money? Money is power. Money is the metaphor for power. That's that's why money that's why you want money. It gives you power. It gives you power to live in a nice place or a bad place, or to eat well or eat poorly, or send your kids to a really good school or you know not. It's power. The way you get around and move things in the world is with money. At least that's the way we see it. So money is the, as long as power is the thing we crave most, then money will be the thing we crave most. Okay, well, what is power? Power is just self-centeredness. Power is all about you and your wants and your needs. Even if I want money so I can help my family, well, that's still, you want power, so you can do what you want with it. What you want with it is to help your family, but it's still power it's what i need so we are very self-centered people and a very self-centered people doesn't give people information they can use it gives people entertainment because that makes money and why do they give us entertainment because that's what we want (laughs) we want to be entertained it's not like what we desperately want is good information and they just keep giving us entertainment No, what we really want is entertainment the shows that come on that actually have information, not many people watch those. Truth is not that important. Image is much more important in our world than truth. <laughs> um, entertaining people is a lot is a lot more valuable and a lot more uh, um, creates a lot more interest than does information that's not entertaining matter of fact it's gotten so bad that if you can't make your information entertaining nobody will look at it so even if you have a really serious thing you want to talk about you need to make little animated characters that run around and do funny things uh, you know while you're giving this very serious important information otherwise nobody will, will look at it because they won't be entertained I saw that on a, a guy was was posting a comment on a on a um, a video that I was watching about COVID nineteen, and it was a couple of uh, vi- virologists who were having a discussion. They were from John Hopkins, and they were talking. This was like weeks ago when the when the COVID nineteen was still in its early stages, and they were going over the possibilities and all the things that could happen and what the probabilities were and how this virus worked and how it didn't work and how it killed, and there was a bunch of you know, these are a bunch of Ph.D. Uh, virologists and immunologists and others sitting around having this very intelligent conversation. And the comment was, this is boring. This is so totally boring. I don't know how anybody could listen to it. Because it went on for an hour, hour and a half of just serious people talking about serious things. And that was the comment. I couldn't, I couldn't listen to it. It was just too boring. It was wonderful information, important information, necessary information, but nobody was telling jokes. Nobody was, uh, you know, cursing. Nobody was, uh, you know, dancing or singing or, you know, there weren't any little cartoon figures running around, and it was just too boring to even watch. So, you know, we have to make things entertaining or nobody will look at it. That's That's where we live right now. So you're right, Ingo, it's a problem, but it's a problem of our self-centeredness, and it's another one of those things. Well, here's an opportunity to learn. Maybe we'll learn something here. Maybe we'll realize that we create a lot of harm. We hurt a lot of people with this negative entertainment, hurt a lot of people, particularly young people. Yeah, that's a, that's a fact. I mean, there's a lot of young people that are, you know, suicide has become the number one killer of, you know, people under what, 18 or something like that. You know, it's, that's because of all the negative information in the world. And even if it's not negative, even if it's just information that's, it's not negative, but it's unnecessary. Like in Canada, in Canada, they had this big public discussion over who should get the ventilator had two people needed a ventilator one was a 12 year old boy and one was uh, an older i don't remember you know late 60s early 70s guy who was a scientist that dealt with uh, maybe he was a virologist or maybe he was an immunologist or something Somebody whose skills would be very important today Somebody that we need to be working on the problems we have today with, with these public health problems. So he was a very, um, you know, valuable person, if you will, but he was older. And then here was this 12-year-old who had all the potential in front of him, and uh, there was only one ventilator, and they both needed it. Well, why would this go public? Now, okay, in a a philosophy ethics class, you could have a discussion on this if you were in college. You know, that might be something that you'd want to bring up and say, well, you know. But obviously, uh, that kind of a thing has no right answer. It's not like, oh, well, of course, you'd give it to, you know, the kid or you'd give it to the virologist. There are no right answers to this. But it's sensational. It creates a lot of arguments. So that got put out on the press, and now it's a it's a public discussion, okay? So whatever that poor hospital decides to do, and they're going to have to decide to do something, or they're both going to die. So, you know, within the next, like, hour, somebody's going to have to make a decision. They will, and it'll be the best choice that they knew how to make at the time, period. And life goes on. But whatever it is that they do, at least 50% of the population will damn them and send them hate mail because it wasn't the way they thought it should have been made. That's not a decision that needs to be public. That's a decision that needs to be done in that hospital by those people. It's not a decision that needs to be second-guessed. Oh, they were wrong, because you could argue about that for years and never come to a conclusion. So it just starts arguments, starts bad feelings. Starts people disliking each other, creates polarity, all the people that thought the 12-year-old versus the people that thought the older guy, you know, who had a a really valuable education and and set of experience. So what positive does it do? None. What negative does it do? A lot. So why publish it? It's just an internal decision that some doctor in a hospital is going to have to make, and he probably has an hour to make it, and has almost no information to make it on, but he's going to have to make it. And see, so now you have Canada, you know now second-guessing this decision, and they'll probably talk about it for the next 20 years. And it'll never do anything more than start arguments. Unless it's an academic ethics, you know, class where people discuss it very intellectually, but that's not what's going on. People are discussing it now, you know, in the media with a lot of heated emotions. So anyway, yes, young people are being hurt because we're so self-centered. Uh, we, Don't really just provide information. Information is a good thing, but that's really not what moves media. It's not providing useful information. Maybe a hundred years ago, that's what moved media, but no longer. Now media is all about entertainment. And if it'll jerk people's feelings around, then let's get it up there and play it for all it's worth because that will sell. Another... Just another symptom of a society that is very self-centered. Don't really care about the people they hurt. They don't even think about the people they hurt. I'm sure that reporter that in Canada that put that out, he didn't think about, gee, this can hurt a lot of people and cause a lot of useless arguments and hard feelings. He just said, wow, this is something exciting. This is going to be news. What a, what a dilemma. This is going to catch people's attention. So it goes out. So you don't even think about the consequences. Why? Because you really don't care about the consequences. Because you're just not that plugged into other. He probably got a, three gold stars for the day for coming up with the with the most read article in the newspaper. That's so the way we are. Nothing can be done about it, and there isn't anything you can do to sort the information other than just grow up and look at it and be very skeptical. And believe almost none of what you read. You know, what do they say? Believe none of what you read and only half of what you see. Well, now, after Photoshop, don't even believe half of what you see. You know, <laughs> you believe none of what you read and none of what you see. So you just stay skeptical and have your own filters. It just says, well, that's, I don't need to think about that or that or that. Just throw all that stuff out because it's just not useful information. It's just junk. But unfortunately, we not only are junk food junkies when it comes to what we eat, we're junk food junkies when it comes to what we consume as far as information. The healthy good stuff, we are not too interested in that. You know, so we, have a, we, have, we give our physical body Coca-Cola and potato chips for dinner, and we give our mind conspiracy theories and, uh, and negativity it's just where we are that's <laughs> who we are it's uh, just the nature of it so there's, there's no way to fix it other than grow up we just have to grow up and maybe something like this covid 19 crisis will help us see that problem hopefully there'll be a million other people asking that same question that you're asking wow this news is really causing a lot of damage and hurting a lot of people is that really necessary what's it doing that's good Well, the only thing it's doing that's good isn't good for the society. It's good for the owners of the media that are making a lot of money with it. That's all it's accomplishing. It's doing a lot of social destruction. But we got to love it. It's just the way it is. We got to learn to smile and live with it and be happy because it is what it is. People have to grow up. You can't grow them up. You can't force them to grow up. You just have to let them be who they are. And they grow up on their own when they grow up. And we just happen to be living here in this this year, 2020. And uh, we just have to deal with what comes in front of us. And it's the same with those kids who are, you know, who are finding distress and unhappiness. It's a lesson for them, a hard lesson. They're going to have to learn to just let that stuff go, not get wrapped up in all the negativity. And it'll be hard, but uh, some of them will make it and will learn a lot and Others maybe won't survive. Kind of the nature of existence. But we won't change. You can't change it by making laws. You can only change it by people growing up.
0: Sasha, if you're listening, um, you can go ahead with your questions. You've submitted them. I don't have them in front of me if you would like to ask them.
3: Yes, thank you. I'm here. Um, Okay, so, so basically I... I feel like I get sort of, I, I, I sense the, you know, quote unquote, energetic signature of living things, like of different people, different animals, my own pets, whatever, plants, um, in the same way that, you know, uh, taste different foods differently, that I associate different tastes with different foods. I associate different energetic signatures with different living things. And I use that during meditation to check in with people, my loved ones, to send them healing, to communicate, and so on. Uh, I can also send things, like if I send a letter, I'm a writer, and I often send out pieces, you know, and and I wait for and I can often, when the editor is reading my piece, and I can often also sense whether or not, they, whether or not they're they gonna accept it or reject it. Um, but my question is, so feels like I hit a, a, the person I'm trying is behind a shroud of, of iron inside some box that I can't, trait um, you know and it just leaves me perplexed why I can do that with some people and not others and um, uh, I guess that's that's mainly the question oh. and also, also if you could recommend any exercises that I could do um, you know using these like tuning into these energetic signatures to um, in, just kind of deepen my meditation and my um, intuition and, and and capacity to heal and all that stuff.
2: Okay. Um, you broke up on some of that. I don't know if that was true of everybody here, but at least in my audio, your voice was breaking up, and I, I, I got pieces of it, but I think I got enough of it to understand uh, what, your, what your question was. The first question was, uh, how is it that, you get these signatures and this information on most people, but some people you don't. It's just um, you get a blank. You get nothing. You get a nothing at all. Is that right? Was that the first question? Yes.
3: Yes. Yes. Yeah. That, that is correct. That is the first question.
2: Yes. Okay. okay. Well, a couple of reasons why this might be the case. One, and you'd have to—I'd have to know more about those situations that that you get blanks and and uh, where you don't. Uh, maybe I could do a little more specific answer. But in general, there's a couple of reasons why this this might happen. One is the system can always limit your information if it thinks it's likely to cause your entropy to grow rather than decrease. In other words, if it thinks that it's information that is needs to be private to somebody else or that needs that you need not to have for whatever reason, might not be about you, might be about them. But the system doesn't always share all with everybody. It shares most of most of the data, most of the time with most of the people. But sometimes it just won't give you certain things like if you want to know what the uh lottery uh, winning lottery number is uh it's not going to tell you that it may have some fun with you by giving it all the numbers except the last one or something like that but it's generally not going to tell you something like that because it finds that that is not a good thing to do it's not helpful it's not Ethical so it doesn't do it. So that's one reason that sometimes you run into blanks is that it's just information That's not suitable to tell either. It's not good for you, or it's not good for them to share The second reason that you might run into a blank is that individuals Are mostly pretty open with their information and Mostly they're open because they don't really know that they can be anything other than open they don't realize that they've got a knob they can turn that shuts it off. They just think it's always on because that's what it is. But unless you take an action to turn it off, then you're on, you're open and all your information is accessible. If you'd like to turn that off in the sense that you're getting these signatures from those living things and it's a real time signal, not data out of the database now, but a real time signal, someone can basically turn you off they can say i don't want to speak to anybody i don't want to share any information and if they understand how these things work enough that they have that intention and maintain it then you won't get any information you won't get that signature you can still look up data in the database but you're not going to get that normal signature that you get from them that'll be blocked out so you can use your intent open and close various communication channels as you desire so that's something that i guess most people don't know about they only they're open because they don't know that that there's any other way to be so those would be two two different reasons for you to run into a a a blank wall that you might not get something from somebody Maybe a third reason would be, is that the system would just like to give you enough uncertainty to keep you skeptical. So sometimes it may just throw you a curveball or an oddball just to keep you on your toes and and, uh, skeptical. Otherwise, you get too settled into a rut of the things you do and the way you do it, and it doesn't keep you thinking and awake so sometimes the system will just send you some really strange stuff off the wall just to keep you alert and on your toes and thinking and and plugged in so that you don't end up in you know the zombie world where you just do stuff because you do it it will sometimes give you things to to think about that will help pull you out of that automated you know on, on automatic process make you work focus on the details a little more so those are three reasons why you might might have that but maybe i could be more specific if i knew more specific details but that's probably enough for you to figure out what you know what that why it might work that way
3: yeah that's very helpful thank you and my second question pertains specifically to uh, paranoid schizophrenics i have a loved one Who suffers from paranoid schizophrenia, and uh, when I send her healing light, um, unlike most of the people that I send healing light, that just feels very easy for me to send. um, With her, it just feels like the light doesn't even penetrate. As as if she's shrouded in a very dark cloud. That and and it also feels to me that the healing light may actually increase her. Um, entropy or or scare her or Mm -hmm. something like that. I can sense her, her chaos. And, um, and so I don't know, I don't know what's going on there. If you have any um, insight.
2: Yes. Again, there's a couple of things that might be going on there. She is, she's schizophrenic. Yeah. Paranoid schizophrenic. She has a lot of things coming at her in her mind. She has a lot of ideas and a lot of thoughts and a lot of things are, are impinging on her. Um, things that she creates and maybe things that are part of what's outside of her, but it's not the same kind of data stream that somebody who's not paranoid schizophrenic gets, gets. They're getting all sorts of information that they have to struggle with and a lot of it is not very pleasant. And when somebody else sends something at them, their first their first reaction is to push it away. Okay, their mental space is not a is not a calm, tranquil, <laughs> pristine mental space. Their mental space is a chaotic, pushy, in your face, um, un, unfriendly, unhappy mental space. And something else pushes at them, they push back. So that's probably why you get an immediate pushback. And if you push harder, what you will do then is just make them more, um, you know, they want to push back harder. They're trying to maintain their mental space with enough, enough, uh, what, calmness that they can function in it, that they can keep the roar down to a point that they can still function somewhat in life. So that's, that could be one of the things that you get. Another thing you get is that, that you might get is that, Knowing that this person is paranoid schizophrenic, you may have some idea in your mind, not necessarily in your intellect, but in your subconscious, that their, their mental processes are not like everybody else's, that they're different that way, and to talk with them mind to mind, to give them energy, is going to be a different thing, and then that that metaphor of this differences that you perceive could be as like a barrier that's around and that you have a hard time dealing with. In other words, that barrier could be your own metaphor because you know that they happen to be, uh, you know, to have those problems because you know, you have those problems. You may create that metaphor that represents those problems when you go to work with them. So some of it could be of your own creation from uh, uh, kind of a, beneath the intellectual level from the subconscious level uh, and it's some of it's probably pushed back from them because their mind is high entropy their mind is full of competing noise if you will and that being full they don't you know they push back on things that come at them so the thing to do with them is just to give them a general not really communicate Come real directly to them but rather just to give them peace happiness relaxation mostly peace is what they lack they have very little peace and very little tranquility inside their head and if you could just give them some peace and tranquility that will help probably as much as anything else to uh, to aid them does that does that help any yeah
3: yeah No, no, that's absolutely, that's right on where my instinct was. And, and finally, um, just if you have any suggestions for exercise, how to, um, improve and hone in the whole, I mean, I just like this connection that I feel with living things and can you recommend any exercises that I can do, you know, regularly to improve it and hone it?
2: um well yes one would be an awareness that the the things you get you say you get um uh, signals or indicators or feelings or things back these are the things that you get are often in terms of your own metaphors so you create your own way of communicating in terms of these, these signals and signatures that you get. And you, many people have the idea that they're actually getting this particular signature in this particular way because that is what the person's sending. But really what's going on is that you're connecting with that person and with that information and who they are. And then you're interpreting that in terms of your own metaphors that represent the meaning that's in that information. So one of the ways that you can improve what you're doing is to realize that much of the, 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 the signals that you're getting are in terms of your own metaphors. And you can make your metaphors more, uh, what should we say, higher resolution, which then you'll get better information. You can make your metaphors uh, simpler, so they're not so uh, uh, complicated. You can you can produce better metaphors for it. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I'm probably confusing you as much as I'm helping you. Um,
3: no, no, pra- I, I get that. But yeah? how, what's a good way to practice? What's a good like daily practice to get that?
2: The daily practice is just to do things that come up in your life. Uh, just play with it and do things. Like for instance, uh, I can remember when I was in—I was twenty-something, had just been going out to Bob Monroe's for a couple of years—and uh, I was playing with picking up things from other people, signals like you talk about. So as I would walk around, I would just notice things. Like there would be people sitting at a lunch counter. And I would see their backs i'm in a I'm in a store and I had a lunch counter, so people are sitting at the lunch counter and I see them sitting there. I would hone I would pick one and see if I could taste what it was they were tasting and see if I could pick up that signal and then I could walk around to where I could see what it was you know what was that a dill pickle? yeah, okay, there's a hamburger with a great big dill pickle on it, and that sort of thing, so I played with these sorts of things just to see if I could get it right. You know, it was a way of testing myself in a way of exercising that capability of picking up on that sort of information. So you can do that in everyday life and you do it some, you know, when your when you know, article is going to be accepted or when, uh, you know, something will happen or you know, when a friend is gonna call being aware of those things more. And it's just a matter of paying attention to them. You know, anybody can get these signals if they pay attention to them. So it's that learning to pay attention. Normally, we just walk past people eating at lunch counters and we don't pay any attention to what it is they're eating. So that information's there. What's missing is your attention to it to make the connection. So you can practice it in lots of mundane ways Just making your attention go to any number of things in your environment you know the doorbell rings who's on the other side Uh, and uh, what's in the package that they brought well you'll have some clues about that because maybe you know what was ordered Uh, so maybe that's not as good a one but things like that what are you going to find behind the closed doors you know what's going to happen when you go meet so-and-so today and if you just all that information is available at least if it's in the future, it's available in the probability. And you can get that. And mostly we just don't. Now, was I, was I invading that guy's, that guy's privacy by tasting what he was tasting? Well, I don't think so. I think it was just information's available. You just put your attention on it. So I'd say that there's probably dozens of things in your environment that you've never thought of actually putting your attention toward that you could. And all of those things will just make it easier and easier for you. And you'll get more and more accurate with it as you practice.
3: Okay. Very cool. Thank you, Tom. That's very helpful.
2: You're welcome.
0: Thank you, Sasha. The next question was submitted by Ralph B. Tom, the question that comes to my mind is, whether the coronavirus is a manifestation of the intent of our global or at least group consciousness the intent for example of the Friday for Future movement and the Friday for Future movement is a movement um, of, of students who take time off classes on Fridays to
3: participate
0: in demonstrations to demand actions from political leaders to take action to prevent climate change and for the uh, fossil fuel industry to transition to renewable energy. So what do you think about that? Could it be that we are already in a development stage that group consciousness is more important and more contributing to our individual development than our individual consciousness? That the challenges we are facing now and in the future are challenges for us in order to see whether we are able to act as a society and not as a single individual anymore?
2: well yes of course all of that is so but so is you know so is the individual consciousness important that's where the growth takes place growth takes place in an individual and the group consciousness is a creation of all the individuals in the group so if all the students get together and form a group a group of concerned students about climate Okay. And that's just a, a loosely, doesn't have to have a charter, doesn't have to have a, you know, a, a button and a, and a logo or anything. It can just be a loose group, you know, just something among maybe dozens of colleges or young people on the internet or whatever. So, but if there's a group like that. And they decide that a good tactic would be taking Friday off and, and demonstrating to bring attention to issues. Well, it's the individuals that create the collective consciousness not the collective consciousness that that uh changes well collective consciousness can change individuals but it's not the collective consciousness that is the the uh the actor there that's changing the people the collective consciousness reflects the people okay now new people come in and they'll get into that group and that collective consciousness then will help nudge them toward the same ideals so in that way, people joining that group are being nudged toward the toward the causes of that group. Well, it's not because the, the it's not really the collective consciousness that's changing them. It's all the consciousnesses of that group that that defines the collective conscious. The collective conscious isn't a thing in itself. It's not like a being of its own. It's the vector sum of all the individual consciousnesses that identify as being a member of that group that's what collective consciousness is so it's really the the uniformity of the consciousnesses of the people in the group that help others coming into the group join in their attitudes hopefully that's making sense to you it sounds a, a little a little um, difficult to understand but the collective consciousness is a representation of the people the individuals not a thing in itself it's a thing that represents those individuals and as people join that group that collective consciousness in other words all those consciences of the people already in the group tend to encourage the new people coming in to take up the same ideas and to join and to join in so in this collective consciousness that's global okay, we we have to change down at the individual level to create a collective conscience at the global level that is more caring. And I think maybe this this, uh, COVID-19 will give us an opportunity to do that. After all, we're acting very differently now. We've had viruses go around, maybe that weren't quite as hard, I mean, quite as easy to catch and not quite as deadly as this one. But we've had lots of things going around and people just continued on business as usual. And if people died, they died. And if they didn't, they didn't. And it's not anything to me, not my problem. And everybody just kept going on. People would get the flu and some would, some wouldn't. Some would die, some wouldn't. But life went on pretty much normally. Because we were too self-centered to really care that much about those people that were going to die that wouldn't necessarily have to die if we were not that self-centered. Well, this time we're different. This time we decided that we care about those people, particularly older people. We care about grandma and grandpa. And if we act more, you know, more caringly, if we act more responsibly, A whole lot of those grandma and grandpas will still be around to play with their grandchildren next year. And that'll be a good thing. So because of that, we decide to quarantine ourselves and stay home. And we decide that we're going to take these measures and they hurt us economically. They have pain to them. They're real measures. It's not just something that's easy to do. It's something that's hard to do. And we're doing it because we care. Before, we didn't care so much. So that's a good sign. Very good sign. And it's not that the collective consciousness somehow made us do that, but we are growing up. And as we grow up, the collective consciousness we create is helping other people grow up. And if enough people grow up, then that gets to be a movement. And that movement begins to dominate. And that's the, that's the effect we have. It's called in science. We talk about it in nuclear physics as a, as a, a critical mass, you know, if you have a radioactive substance and you have enough mass of that substance around, you'll have enough neutrons that will make reactions. And those reactions then create neutrons that make reactions, that create neutrons that make reactions, sort of like passing a virus along. And what happens is the thing goes boom. You get so many reactions going that it, that it uh, is a self-sustaining reaction. Well the same thing happens with our collective consciousness and socially if you get a significant minority who actually care about grandpa enough to stay home and take the you know take the economic hit that they're going to take then that is a good sign and that helps other people make that decision it helps other people and if you get enough well it just cascades and becomes a chain reaction And you'll end up with growth, actual, real, spiritual growth of, you know, maybe 20, 30 million, 100 million people, maybe even more than that, who just kind of grow up because of this, this experience. And big, disastrous, terrible experiences tend to cause that. When we had the Depression back in the 1930s. The whole lot of people grew up more quickly because of that. When you're pressed with things that hurt, when you're pressed with tough decisions, well, do I just go on with my life or let grandma and grandpa die? Or, well, should I stay home and and hopefully uh, keep more of those people alive? Slow it down so that less people will will die, so that the medical people won't be totally overwhelmed and, <clears throat> you know, send the death rate up not only for old people, but for middle-aged people, and even young people now are dying from this disease. It's a disease that creates basically pneumonia, and it's the pneumonia that kills people. And even youngsters can catch pneumonia, and it can be deadly. So, yes, I see some positiveness here, And and the kids getting together to try to raise... Uh, uh, visibility of an issue like, you know, global climate, then sure, do what you can, but don't flunk out of school doing it because you missed all your Friday, all your Friday classes and it made your, you know, your grades go down. So, you know, but give to it as you can. Because having you flunking out of school is also a high entropy thing to do. You know, do it as you can, be intelligent about it. Education is a good thing. Make your demonstrations peaceful and meaningful. Don't let them get rowdy and demanding. Don't call names. Call other people who disagree with you stupid. You know, that isn't helpful. But be as educational as you can be to people. Be gentle. Be kind. But be emphatic. And you will change people's minds. Be demanding and surly. And you will change people to be against you. Not for you. You know, so you're just going out and demonstrating isn't enough. You have to do it in a way that produces a positive result, not a negative result. If you demonstrate for something good, but you do it in a way that just creates more fear, then you're actually part of the problem, not part of the solution. And many groups are bent on fear mongering because they know that the way you manipulate people is with fear. Well, that's not a good way. To go about creating good things is by creating fear, by manipulation. Education's great. Using fear to manipulate, not good. Long term, it doesn't work out well. So if you want to help people change the, you know, or help people understand that climate change is really important, then you need to do that in such a way that is not just frightening people. If you go on a thing on a, some kind of a, an education thing that oh climate's going to change everybody's going to die this is going to happen that's going to happen it's too late now the da 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 and it's all fear 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 you'll have become part of the problem even though your idea of of trying to affect climate change is a good one your execution of that idea is part of the problem not part of the solution so you need to be part of the solution it needs to be a positive message. Not a, a negative message, not a fearful message, but a positive message. Put out facts. You can say facts that are tough, facts that are that are uh, hard to look at, without being fearful. So anyway, yes, I think we uh, we are growing up, and hard times tends to make people grow up more. Tough things to deal with tend to spur people to. Grow up. So we'll see. We'll see. Sometimes hard things tend people to devolve. You know some people will grow down, but I'm hoping a whole lot more will grow up than those that grow down. You know, it's like uh, what what Gullamy said there. You know, I hope uh, more more people uh, learn to 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 find strength and positiveness and love in that family rather than you know they're all mad at each other and they all can't stand each other. So we'll see. You know, as the years go by, we'll look back at this, and history will be able to tell. Was this a step forward or was this a step back? How did we deal with this? How did we recover from it? Did we make caring choices or not? Go ahead, Donna.
0: I I think you you would agree that uh, the people who lived through the the Depression um, will never think... Never thought of their world in the same way again, rethought everything they they knew um, So perhaps we'll see some of that. I don't think any of us will look at the world the same way again uh, having gone through this and we'll see how as you say how that comes out. Um, we don't have a lot of time left, but uh, David C had sent in a question to us, that we didn't get to post on there. His question, and I, I know this might take a little bit of time, so I just want to say ahead of time that we, you and I did an interview on the origins of consciousness. So that is on YouTube, Tom Campbell, The Origins of Consciousness. The question that David submitted was, how did consciousness decide it, it needed to grow up and lower its entropy? And does the LCS, as you call it, benefit from all of this lowering of entropy? You've, well, you've encapsulated things before in a short time, so <laughs> see
2: if that can happen. Oh, right. yeah. I've got seven <laughs> seven minutes, and it'll be a piece of cake. Um, you know, the short answer is yes and yes, but I can go in a little more detail than that. And that is that um, the larger conscious system is an information system. An information system, if it raises its entropy and continues to raise its entropy, it will disappear. It will no longer be an information system. All of its bits will be random because that is the highest entropy condition of an information system is there is no information and the information system is dead. So that's death to an information system is raising entropy until death no information left okay now you create uh information by order ordering things creates information okay so that's a low that lowers entropy so lowering entropy allows an information system to evolve so why does an information system want to always lower entropy (laughs) because it's grow or die just like everybody else (laughs) it's the same deal we get right right you grow up or, you know, you, you grow up or you die. So you have to keep evolving. And there's a innate sense of wanting to be better, of wanting to create, of wanting to do things in a better way. We have that sense of wanting to survive and wanting to survive well. And with that sense, our system chugs toward states of lower entropy. Okay, so that's why it does that. It's the just the natural way a system evolves. That's how that that defines evolution. Otherwise, higher entropy defines de evolution. And systems evolve to survive. Okay, what was that second part, Donna?
0: Second part was how does it benefit from all of this lower entropy? Uh,
2: well, we are it it is us so we have a larger conscious system and part of that system is configured as a computer that computes this virtual reality that we live in part of that larger conscious system is configured as us individuated units of consciousness so we are part of that system we're just a piece of consciousness of this larger conscious system as we reduce our entropy well the system has its entropy reduced as well because we're a part of it see we are the system we're not the total system the system has other parts and pieces doing other things but we're a piece of that system so that's how the system benefits as we evolve it evolves so it's continually evolving as a system doing its system things we're continually evolving as individual individuals individuated units of consciousness doing our individual thing and we lower entropy of ourselves individually which also lowers entropy of the system and the system does things to help us like it creates this virtual reality that makes it easier for us to grow up in it uh, uh, helps us in, in many other ways as well so it's a it's a system that is trying to optimize itself by lowering entropy. And it does that because that's how it survives. That's how it goes forward. Now, we have another reason for wanting to go forward, and that is here in this virtual reality where they have a tight rule set and everything is interactive with everything else. If we have high entropy, we tend to have a life full of struggle, stress, conflict, aggravation, anger, etc. In other words, we live in a pool of negativity all the time. If we're able to create a low entropy consciousness, we live with joy, peace, tranquility, satisfaction, love, you see. And we help the whole become that way too. Because us as an example, as we grow up, we help the whole grow up toward that. So we have another reason. It's not just that we are lowering entropy for the system, but we are also creating experiences for ourselves that are just a whole lot of fun and very enjoyable and very satisfying. As you find out as you give, and love requires you to give, it's about other, you find out the more you give, the more satisfying your life is, the more that comes back to you and life just gets to be happy and joyful and satisfying so why do we want to lower our entropy because it's more fun because it's it's a, a whole lot better than being miserable and struggling and and uh, you know constantly in anger and being upset so we have that special thing for us in this in this uh, virtual reality is that our life becomes a lot of fun when we uh, lower our entropy and it becomes a lot of trouble and trauma when we don't. So that's motivation enough. Other than that, we have the system's motivation that it just wants lower entropy because that means more highly uh, configured and more useful bits and that makes it a better system and it's evolving. It just does that because that's what it does because doing anything else would kill itself. There we go, and i got a minute left over, Donna.
0: You did it, that's amazing, with a minute left over. I'm glad (laughs) I have one minute, because I would like to say to the people who submitted uh, questions to the MBT Forum, Tom and I are going to do a separate auxiliary uh, MBT Forum Questions Only segment that we will put up on YouTube, and your questions that are a couple of months uh, old, submitted, will all be answered in that special segment because a lot of the time is devoted to those who are present here and who are part of the fireside chat and been submitted but we don't want you to be forgotten we uh, will do a special segment for you well thank you everyone thank you Tom Justin and Oliver is off camera but we thank you all and we hope to see you again
2: Yes. Thank, time. thank everybody. Thank you, Oliver, for making it possible. Thank you, Justin, for doing all the editing, and uh, thank all of you. The questions were particularly interesting and good this time. I thought it was a great bunch of questions that really got into some some deep things that are of interest to lots of people, and that's what we try to do. So thank you. You you're great. A great, uh, a great uh, what do we call you? An audience panel, whatever whatever it is, you are you you were great at it. So long. See you next time.